Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to the Wrong Cat Die, the podcast breakdown of the cast catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we have another amazing guest. He was a swing in the 2020 Asian tour of Cats that was in South Korea. He was covering Tugger, Monkish Trap, Bus Gus, Old Deuteronomy, and Growl Tiger. So welcome, Vedra Kali, and thank you for joining me. Hello, thanks for having me. I am excited to talk to you because you got to do the pandemic version of Cats, which I think is fascinating. There's going to be a lot of questions on that. I did. It's... Uh... I, I was wondering about that because it's, I suppose, kind of an individual, interesting experience as a production of Cats, you know? It Different is, yeah. Setting. I mean, <laughs> totally. It's been around 40 years and you got to do, uh, you were the, the only one at the time kind of going around and a lot of the only things of theater going around. But we'll get into your production. I always love to hear before that, though, what is your history with the show? How much did you know before you got casted into this crazy play? So crazy playing cats. I um I definitely grew up uh, predominantly listening to the Australian cast recording on cassette, like audio cassette. Um, and I used to listen to this on road trips in the car with my family. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know why. That was just the thing that we did. And um and so I really grew up knowing the whole show just from a music perspective. I hadn't really seen it. I don't think I saw it till I was a little bit older, and that was obviously like the the '90s video recording that everyone grew up with as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and then and then I don't think I actually ever saw a production until the sort of 2016 rehashed version with the Street Tugger and all that sort of thing. And I was like, well, oh wow, this is not tugger. what I expected. I saw Street Tugger. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, yeah, and. That's kind of my background with it. I really like liked it as a kid because I, you know, I really liked musicals and got into that sort of narrative music kind of storytelling that it does. Um, but I never thought I would be in that. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, it was no, never no, a show no, that was on my radar. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. No one ever thinks they're going to be in Cats. <laughs> How old were you when you had the cassette? Like, is this young, young, or is this like teenage? This is this is. Like, no, 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 young. This is like we're talking about, you know, what we'd call primary school in Australia, so elementary school for you guys. Yeah, okay. Um, well, yeah, little, so, you know, we're talking like, we got yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so we're talking six or seven years old, I guess, wow. you know, like young. <laughs> so you, at that point, so you, you're only listening to the, that's probably better than seeing it because you're missing some of the very clear undertones that are in the, the dancing absolutely just music <laughs> and you had just the australian version so like uh-huh, in a cassette uh-huh. you're talking mm-hmm. like walkman style cassette yeah yeah exactly like proper you know little i don't know how how many inches that is but not very big and 
you know, r- play one side and then it plays back the other side yeah. with the other end. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Do you still have that? I, I do somewhere, but I think it's at my parents' house. <laughs> yeah, okay. We found a few of them growing up too, like randomly, but I never had cats. I didn't I didn't have the musical version, let alone the Australian uh, cash. <laughs> so, yeah. okay, so you didn't see it until then. The movie comes out in 1998. That was when the like, recorded production of it came out. And then you said the first time you saw it like live was the London revival that had the street tuck. Correct. So as someone who listened to the cast recording over and over and over again, how angry were you at Street Tucker? <laughs> um, look, I, I, uh, I'm very good friends with the, the guy who played Street Tucker in our production here in Australia. And uh, I adore him, but I was, I was quite offended by um, what had happened to the show and the music. Um, especially, you know, when you really grow up with a particular version and that's what you listen to on repeat. Um, suddenly that not being the show was quite like what is happening this is not how it's supposed to be and yeah. and i um you know i'm all respect to the man but i'm not very fond of lloyd webber's rapping uh <laughs> music i don't think it was particularly street e of street tugger so not a not a big fan um i accepted it and i was very pleased to find out when i was doing it that we were not doing that version of the show yeah <laughs> That, that version didn't last very long. I think it only went in London and then I think you're, uh, a little bit of the international tour, which was in Australia, and that was it. And then 2016, they brought it back to to the uh, more traditional Tucker. Yes. <laughs> I, I kind of, I love, okay, I love that that's what you saw. I Did, did you see the, the 2019 movie? Uh, yes, I have. Oh, that yeah. was, so that's the way I felt with Mungo Jaren or Patisa. Because yes. that was one song that I really remembered during the first viewing of the the show, and the song that like stuck in my head for weeks. And then I saw that movie, and again at that point I had I knew the show, but I wasn't probably the expert I am today. And when I went and saw that 2019 movie, and I was the same way. I was like, wait, what happened to the song that I remember and really enjoyed? This is a very different version. I mean, I think that's the. Isn't that the original, it's the original, original version? version is what I yeah, yeah, yeah. Later, but yeah. I'm like, I'm I'm sitting here looking at the like this is wrong version of Kaz. <laughs> this is the one I was introduced to is the Broadway revival, and I love that song. That was the one song I sang the whole whole walk home I took from the theater, and it was very different. Now, granted, yeah, I'm probably you know there's going to be some people that are going to be mad because they like the original better, but I'm pretty sure none of us, nobody liked the Street Tucker from what I've heard. Yeah, don't I don't think um, well it's just it's just not Lloyd Webber's style of writing that he you know has a lot of strength and and experience in, and I think it was I understand why he tries to adapt his shows into a more contemporary setting and make them more current, but I don't think he had the musical chops for that particular genre. I. I love that we're that you're criticizing Andrew Lover because I've been this whole podcast is on the premise that he made a wrong writing decision as well. So I, I'm all for this, um, and my hope is one day to confront him about it in person. Um, but I probably won't talk about Street Tucker. I will talk about his his ending. Um, okay, so I I love it. So you never thought you were going to be in it. You knew it. You've seen the seen it live seen seen it probably on vhs i would assume at that mm-hmm. point have heard tape like we're modernizing you hopefully you're going to stream <laughs> it someday 
Um, but you get to 20, I'm assuming it's around 2020 or maybe even 2019 and you get cast as a swing. So tell me about what that was, that process was like, like, was that pan, pre pandemic? Was that? Yeah. The so pandemic? this, it was a really, really interesting experience. Um, because this was right in the very, very early stages of 2020. Um, I was, I was touring here in Australia on our national tour of Shrek. Um, which was very exciting. And we'd been awesome. open for a couple of months and okay. that was going really well. And then we'd sort of been hearing murmurings over in, you know, China of like, oh, there's, you know, there's this COVID pandemic thing starting to happen. And, but we're very, you know, separate from everything in Australia. We're very isolated. Totally. And, um, and so it wasn't really on anyone's radar. And then a couple of weeks into, I think it was March, it started like, you know, we started having serious cases starting to happen in Australia and everyone's sort of going, oh, this is, I don't know what's going to be happening, but we're still going on with our lives and there are still auditions happening. And an audition came up very much out of the blue for Cats and it was for um, the South Korean tour, which had, I, I had been aware of the South Korean tour of Cats because it has run many times because it's very, very successful in Korea. Yeah. And so I've had lots of friends who've done this tour and I'm like, okay, I'm sort of aware of it. I mean, I'll just, you know, why not? I'll do the audition. Um, but I'm not really thinking anything of it. I think also there was a bit of date overlap, like they were supposed to start a little bit before I was finishing on Trek. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something I was really invested in. Yeah. But I was like, I'll go in and do it, whatever. That's um, when you probably perform your best too, right? Yeah, exactly. When, you, when you're not investing in it. Yeah. You're just like, I'm just here, I'm doing my thing. Um, and, and I remember preparing for this audition and being like, I don't even know what, to sing for cats like what what do you take into a room for because it's such a specific pastiche kind of show musically and it's not like you can just take another Lloyd Webber song because they're not really in the same world but you know what do you do and I was sort of doing that thing where I'm like okay well what what character would I play like I don't know or you know who to bring in and I sort of thought well I guess there's there's Gus and I'm I'm a fairly you know, good character actor, a bit of a chameleon in that sense and can do, you know, everything. But so I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll bring in some variety for them. I don't know what I'll bring in. So I, I took in a Gilbert and Sullivan patter song um, <laughs> uh, and and I took in, uh, who is it? Hammerstein's adaptation of Carmen. Um, yeah, so talking to the, I'm the wrong audience for this. Hopefully this is, people listening to this know what you're yeah. talking about. So basically I took in some, you know, romantic opera, some operetta patter, <laughs> um, and then like a 1930s music theatre ballad. So it was really <laughs> out there stuff. And I walked into the room and I, I sort of said to them, I'm like, well, I've got some options. What do you guys feel like hearing? I've got this, this or this. Uh, and they were sort of like, oh, that's not what we we're expecting, but sure, uh, let's have this. And and by the end of it, we'd gone through each song and they were obviously really enjoying it. I'm like, oh, well, this is going well. That's great. Um, and this was this was in what ended up being our last week of shows performing for Shrek before we all got shut down. So um, I was sort of there in the morning doing the audition, then going off to do cover calls and, um, and then performances at Shrek. And then I had a call back the next morning and did all the sort of callback stuff. I got called back in for Monk, um, which again was not on, really on my radar. I was like, okay, I, I kind of know this character, but not super, super well. I know that he sings a lot of the stuff at start, so I'll do that. Um, and I went back in and did all the Monk material and um, and the wonderful um, Kristen Blodgett, who you know is very revered on this production and has worked on Cats many, many times and is just an incredible human being. Um, she she sort of had this glint in her eye right before I finished and she was like, could you just 
just sing this for me. And she pulls out um, uh, the the Dute solo at the end of A Dressing of Cats. And it was sort of like, oh, this is a real curveball. I don't know what we're doing here, but sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so I sang some Dude and she was, she was quite pleased. And yeah, and then, you know, that was sort of it. I went back to Shrek. That weekend, um, the whole country shut down, like all of the shows all closed and um, cats didn't get to finish running their auditions. They were supposed to go from Melbourne to Sydney, but they, you know, everyone ended up going back to their respective countries and just getting the hell out um, as COVID really set in. And and that was it. And I was like, well, I guess that production is never going to happen. And, yeah. you know, that's fine because we're here, we're all in lockdown and, and I'm finally having a break for the first time in my life. <laughs> Uh, which was actually quite nice. Um, and then a month into the sort of, you know, real lockdown period at the start of COVID, I got this email um, from Katz being like, hey, we're still going ahead in South Korea. Would you, you know, are you interested in coming and doing the show? And I was like, what? I'm like, what do you mean you're going ahead with a production in, in another country? You know, yeah. Um, and yeah, and so of course, like, you know, we had nothing going on and everything was locked down. And I was like, of course I'm interested. Um, and, and then I spoke to some friends who'd done the show previously and they said, well, you know, if they're looking at you for a swing, just check if they want you to sing Tugger as well, because the person who normally does that track also covers Tugger. And I hadn't done any Tugger material. Tugger is like the furthest thing from me possible. I'm very like now knowing the show really well, I'm very much a monkey strap. I'm, you know, very much like, I like things to be in order. Um, I'm, you know, not, not socially awkward, but you know, I'm not like super outlandish going to go crazy party or anything like that. Um, and so I was a little bit like, uh, you know, intimidated by this whole tugger thing. And I thought, all right, well, I better ask if they want me to do it. And they said, oh yeah. So they, they sent me through the tugger material and then I'm, you know, sitting at home in my apartment trying to pull out this tugger stuff that I've never really sung because it's not my vocal style. (laughs) I don't really do like that rock and rolly kind of riffy stuff. Um, and yeah, and sent it all back. And then next thing they were like, well, get your passport organized because we're going to Korea. And um, yeah, and, and the rest is history. <laughs> I can imagine you in your Australian apartment, just like hip thrusting your way around, trying to figure out your <laughs> version of Tiger. Yeah, <laughs> with a lot of directing from my housemate. Yeah. Who's <laughs> yeah. really helping through all of this process, me being like, I, I can't do this role. That's, that is pretty amazing. So you, I mean, so you go, I'm, I'm assuming you had to quarantine and kind of do all of that. You get there and I think you went to, you went on a bunch of different cities. You didn't go to Taiwan. I think that part of the tour got canceled. Correct. But walk me through like what it was like those first couple performances when everything else was kind of closed and all of a sudden you're still alive. And I mean, I saw that you had master and green eyes and like you, you had like, it's a, it was, it had to be a very different experience. Yeah, it was, it was really special. Um, it was really, really lucky. I remember that, you know, after all of the quarantine and all the travel, which was a very stressful experience, obviously. And, um, and especially being like, I, I'd never been to Asia before. Um, so it was a really, really new experience for me and I, you know, really exciting, but being in quarantine in a foreign country where all you know is what you can see outside your hotel window for two weeks. And it feels like you're in hell a little bit. Um, and yeah. And when we got to that first day of rehearsal and, and remembering how, how special it was and everyone really appreciating that we were here in a rehearsal room and we were about to do a show and that that just felt normal. But at the same time, it was so momentous and special knowing that no one else 
in the world was doing that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, and it really, I think that um, appreciation for the opportunity really colored the whole tour for the entire cast. I think, you know, normally in a cast, you'd have a lot of, you know, friction and things like that, different personalities and, you know, definitely in music theatre where, where big personalities and there's a lot of, you know, narcissism and all that sort of thing. Um, and and I, we really didn't have a lot of that on our production, I think because everyone was just so grateful to be there. Yeah, um, that's amazing. And and so when we were there, we, we you know, we were in Seoul and um, case numbers had been very, very low in South Korea. Like we're talking nationally, they were looking at about 20 to 30 cases a day nationally. Wow. So it was really, really being very well managed over there. Um, and during, during that time period leading up to opening, so we're talking probably, you know, July through to early September, we'd sort of seen the case numbers starting to creep up again. And, um, and it sort of got to this point where they were, then went, we were rehearsing in a government facility and they had to, uh, because it was a government facility, it was sort of bound by more legal practices. And when the case numbers got to a certain height, we were no longer able to use that facility because they had to shut it down. So in the middle of rehearsals, we moved rehearsal venues overnight to this little basement um, that was very decrepit and small, but, you know, was our new home. <laughs> and, you know, it was sort of getting to this point in the lead up, we were all, all a little bit concerned, actually, we didn't know if we were going to open because the case numbers kept on creeping up. Um, and yeah, but we we eventually did get to opening and um, we opened, I think, to 70% capacity um, and all with masks. And um, yeah, and it was it was incredible and really exciting. Also, I'd never been a swing before as well, so it was sort of a new experience for <laughs> so me. That's a lot. That's a lot um, to do at once. It was a, it was a whole tracks. lot of a whole lot of things happening. Yeah, um, and multiple tracks, new country. Yeah, no, no yeah. Of, the, new, of an unknown pandemic at that point, mm-hmm, it was very mm-hmm. unknown. Um, um, and wow. in the uh, in the second week of shows, I think we were about six weeks six shows in in, in the second week, <laughs> and um, and I I was thrown on as Tugger. Uh, for a whole week of shows. So it was a big couple of weeks and it was sort of, this was the role that I was terrified about, you know, because I'm like, this is this is a sexual party cat and I'm a little bit, you know, like, I'm just going to stand back and watch as a person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and so that was, it was a real roller coaster and this sort of leading up to the opening of the show, of, are we going to open, aren't we going to open? And then, um, you know, getting there and then like settling for like a day or two and then suddenly like, the adrenaline going through the roof as I'm being thrown on for the first time. And that I remember that as being the single scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, so your you first know, time on was Tugger. Yeah, my first time on was Tugger, which was the role that I was the one you, most... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> wow. The one that I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this role. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was, it was terrifying. Um, <laughs> just like I remember standing side stage. I'm, I'm not going to swear, but I remember standing side stage in, you know, green eyes thinking, oh my God, what the, am I about to do? This is insane. <laughs> um, but I mean, it all went really well and really smoothly and, um, and the audiences were, you know, wonderfully supportive and, um, yeah, it was, it was a real wonderful roller coaster that opening period. It was, it was crazy, but you know, we got there and we were very grateful and I think the audiences were also 
you know, thrilled to have the show. Like it was just, it was really special. And I, yeah, I went, yeah, that. it's got to be a sense of normalcy, which is a weird thing to say about cats, but like mm. it had to be a sense of normalcy of no, like but... going to theater and being out exactly. in, in public. So I got and, a couple and in a weird way, it didn't, yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say in a weird way, it did feel normal, um, which was, I think the most special thing of all, like it was just like this, yeah, it was special, but at the same time, this is just, oh, yeah, this is life as I know it. And being able to experience that in 2020 was kind of insane. Yeah, which most people did not experience normal life in 2020. Um, I, so I'm assuming you did some form of the felinity school or some form of like the getting to be cats. And do, did you, did they not call it felinity school? Did you do like where you crawl on each other and like, oh, oh felinity, felinity school? Um, we had a very fast version of it. Uh, I was wondering, because so, like how I was, I was curious about <laughs> in the middle of that port, like part of time, like everything felt weird. Like we were, you know, I was in the middle of the suburbs of the United States and in the Midwest. And even I'm like at the grocery store was like, I don't want to be too close to this person. Like I'm like, oh, someone's in that aisle. I'm going to go down a different aisle. Like it was that point early on in the pandemic. Yeah. And that's when you're being trained to crawl on each other crawl on top of each other yeah so was that like was there a mental hurdle to get over or was it so like soon and because it was so much safer there and so much well managed there it didn't feel as bad i think in um because on that very first day of rehearsal there was obviously a lot of you know like official company discussion about how are we going to conduct this production in COVID times you know and and a really really important conversation which i think is carrying over even into now in theater um about like theater has always been the industry with if you are sick you still come in and you push through you know you don't take a show off unless you are literally dying and that conversation now being like if you have a mild sore throat you do not come in you know so really that changing changing standard of what our conduct was going to be and and one of those main things was that we conducted ourselves um, for the entire duration of the tour, effectively as a bubble. Um, because it was acknowledged that, you know, it's cats and we're going to be on top of each other on stage, sweating and singing and screaming. And, you know, (laughs) it's, it's a very physical show and it's a lot of, you know, damp leotards. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and so it was it was an accepted fact that we were going to have to do that and um and so what was set up was that when we were in the rehearsal space when we were rehearsing it would be no masks obviously we'd be in contact with everyone but the you know the the expectation is that the decisions that you make outside of the rehearsal room you're making for the entire company mm-hmm. you know so don't go to that nightclub <laughs> yeah, yeah so don't um, do that because yeah, don't go. Yeah, because you'll come back, and if you bring something in, that's going to affect every single person here. And and um and we all appreciate how lucky we are to be here to have a job at all. So you know, because back in our our home countries in the UK, in America, in Australia, no one else was working. So it was just it was really just put on us very early on to consider that. And and so yeah, so there was no sort of no touching of people or anything. And it was actually really nice because it meant for. Um, the entire duration of that contract, you know, our castmates, we were able to be close with them. You know, we we went to each other's, you know, apartments in our hotels and have movie nights and, you know, play games and 
you know, do all that sort of stuff and feel like it wasn't, you know, I can't be close to people. It was obviously very much like that in public when we were outside of our bubble um, and, it, you know, face masks everywhere and, and really, really thorough regulations in terms of the COVID conduct in, in Korea. But when we were within our bubble, it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's almost like a camp, you know, you're kind of like isolated yeah. and yeah. You're, you're having a, a good time. That, that's fun. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to some of the nuances in your version because you went more mm. towards, and maybe this is second nature for you since you saw Street Tugger, but it went more towards the kind of like revived London version or the original mm. London version than it was the 2016 Broadway version. Yeah. So I want to know, because I, you know, I was really hoping that your, your cast would bring back Gilbert, but that was only in the Japanese productions. Um, mm-hmm. But tell me about George, because George was, is in your cast, and George, I think, is like Peter for the 2016 cast. Yeah, so George, um, in our production, is he's just a named onstage swing character, so um, he doesn't have any major things that he does or doesn't do. He really jumps in and jumps out. I mean, there's, oh, I wouldn't say there's a lot to talk about. So there's no uh, backstory? Like, most cats get three, the three words, right? Did you get the three words? Does George not get three words? I couldn't tell you what... I, I think George does, but I couldn't tell you what they are. Because it wasn't George's a track that I was really ever near. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do <I> have to <laughs> ask you? <laughs> you didn't cover George. Okay. Um, here's what I do know. No. I did do some research about George. George was our dance captain, so oh, yeah. interesting. Okay, what I know about George is that they um, they are in the sixth member of Growl Tiger's uh, crew, nope. and that Not they're an always grinning. <laughs> that was the only two things I could find about George. Fascinating. I, okay. I don't know about either of those things. <laughs> We're not going to be able to solve any of my George questions today. Got I'm it. sorry. Um, <laughs> what what other nuances like? Getting to do what did you do? Six different tracks, five tracks, six tracks. So, well, really, only four actually. Okay. Which obviously, just some of those tracks have multiple characters. Uh, that's, I guess um, true. Grout Tiger wouldn't be a separate track. Um, yeah, so Tiger, Monk, Bus Gus, and Old Deuteronomy. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, like, how did you prepare first time being a swing to switch back and forth between different personality types? And I mean, and this is a wide range of personality types. Yeah. It's a wide range. Um, I mean, I very much, because so much of the show is music, I made sure I had the music all down first. That was the biggest thing. Um, and and I really worked a lot into characterizing within the music uh, so, with the awareness that, you know, often when I'd be on for a first time doing a track, there's not a lot, a lot of time to think. So you just yeah. got to hope a lot of it's already in your muscle memory. Um, so I, you know, made very clear distinctions between them vocally, I suppose, first was the big thing. Exactly, exactly. And probably a lot of influence from that cassette tape as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was probably the big thing. And then, um, and then obviously physicality is the other the really big one because so much of the work in Cats is done by the, the costuming and the makeup and the wigs, um, even to the degree that when you have swings and covers on and you're backstage, you kind of think they're different people sometimes because you just – you see the the costume, and you start to identify the costume and the makeup with a person, and uh, and you forget that actually it's someone else <laughs> it's under a, there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so really the two big things were vocal um, vocal changes and physicality that I, I really worked on and okay. making those different. And um, I think with Tugger, Tugger was the biggest journey for me. I um, 
I really had to find a new part of myself that I had never accessed before. And actually, I'm really grateful for having done it because I think it's brought out a different freedom for me as well. It, by the end of the tour, it was actually my favorite track from the start of the tour when it was the one that I was like dreading. Yeah. Um, Who do you think you, you channeled know, for Tucker most? Any rock stars? Um, I wouldn't say there's a particular person, to be completely honest with you. But there was definitely an element with my Tucker of, you know, is he... Uh, you know, playing yeah. into that um, fluidity and promiscuity. And um, we, I was particularly close outside of performing uh, to our Mistopheles. Um, which lines up great friend, for the fan fiction. Which lined up really well for the fan fiction. And we actually, um, every time, because I, I went on quite, I think I went on probably most for Tugger out of all of my tracks. That's the one um, that works. The one that you're most fearful of is the one that Is the one you do. <laughs> um, and, and so it ended up being quite a thing that, you know, we really lent into that Tugophilies kind of fantasy that would happen. Um, and And we definitely had a lot of, fans uh enjoying that and we got a lot of focused fan art on the two of us and uh you know that would be gifted to us and things so it was it was a lot of fun to play into that um but yeah it was it was, it was really enjoyable and i'm really glad i got to find that outgoing kind of fun devil may care personality to myself in it it's, yeah it's gonna be fun as a performer to learn and like pull a different thing out even if it is a challenge or not something you think to like get to experience yeah. that I think as a swing too, that's one of the really delightful things about being a swing is because, you know, you are getting cast as things that you wouldn't normally be cast in. You know, for me, it was very much, I clearly fit a Monkus Trap. I clearly fit a Gus, you know, Deuteronomy. I'm more than capable of singing that if we absolutely had to. Um, and just check in Tugger because, I mean, if he's there doing the other three, just put Tugger on, you know. So something that I know I would never, never actually get cast in but then I got to actually play that role quite a lot. And, um, and that was a really wonderful experience and opportunity for me to like, you know, do something that I didn't feel was very me. But because I think in drama school, you know, that you're really encouraged to extend yourself and play things that aren't you because they're trying to break down what your inhibitions are and make you comfortable doing things. But then once you graduate, it really goes back into now what's your type? You play your type, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was really nice, you know, being a swing, getting to play things that I really don't feel I would normally get to play um, and getting to really find that and enjoy that. I love it. I want to do one more kind of plot question. I think, you know, I, I know I've dug a lot into the story. And so I um, I feel like I've gotten, I was, you know, most of my non-George, non-Gilbert questions answered. Uh, but I do think like you did get to go during the pandemic. I'm sure there are people that saw it for the first time. I'm sure it's for most of the people, it's not going to be prim you know, their, their primary language and it is in English. How would you describe it to somebody? The, the story of cats is someone who's never seen it and is coming to see it for the first time. Um, I would say ultimately it is a story about um, forgiveness as a collective. Uh, I, the narrative is obviously about, a collective of a community of cats, a tribe, if you will, the Jellicle tribe, um, who have an annual gathering where they, someone is chosen to be reincarnated. And, um, but it's also kind of like a competition. And every year, um, the contestants, if you will, um, prepare like a new number, which is really exciting. And, uh, and so there's a series of performances that are put on, uh, 
you know, amongst this ritual where eventually somebody is chosen to be reincarnated as the most deserving. And in this particular instance, on this night, um, that is Crisabella, and that has the additional arc of her having been ostracized and then eventually everyone realizing that they really messed up <laughs> and, uh, and, and that forgiveness route. And yeah, that's, I think okay. that's the long and the short of it, really. <laughs> I like that that's the archie guy. I do appreciate I think... I've been trying to piece together, and I haven't fully got this, but everyone who saw it young or had some interaction with it young, I think has a much more wholesome answer to that than everyone who saw it a little bit later in life. I was like, what? And later in life, it's like, yeah, I mean, we, it's an orgy. I went and saw an orgy for, I saw, what is it, nine minutes of people basically climbing on top of each other on the floor. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of other stuff with, as you already alluded to, a fluid character that may or may not be with this character or with that character. And that's what, to me, makes the show fun, because as a, someone who likes to pick apart writing, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of open answers and unanswered questions. Okay, let's pivot to our rapid fire. Um, you got to play multiple roles, but if you could ignore vocal range, ignore gender, if you could pick any cat to play one night, one track, who would you want to perform as? Um, Bomb Ballerina, 100%. Bomb. Love it. Okay. So, so you don't, Tugger's not your personality and you pick the female version of Tugger? She's so fierce. Oh, I just love watching her. And our bomb is incredible. And I, oh, it's just, just, uh, how could you not? <laughs> I do think as the more I've heard the music, the more I love that song. Yeah. That absolutely. song, Cavity and her, and her and Demeanor singing that, like, is the one that now gets stuck in my head most. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, who are your favorite and least favorite cats? Remove actors and actresses from this character-wise. Who are your favorite and least favorite? Um, I actually am not very fond of Monk. Uh, and this is someone who identifies most closely with Monk and played Monk a lot. Um, but I just, every time for me, every time I did it and we get to the the procession line where you know, Grisabella comes and sees everyone at the end. I just really feel like he's the the asshole of the group. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> every you know, the, everyone else has differing degrees of you know how much they do or don't dislike her. But with Monkus Trap, like he really he's he's so black and white. You know, try, and he, he's coming from a place of trying to do the right thing, but I think he's coming from a place of insecurity about his role. And um, and is trying to be so correct that he no longer has the empathy to see past black and white, um, and even in the way that he you know he treats Demeter as well because Demeter is this whole conflicting you know wants to connect with Grisabella because she's been through the same kind of thing and and Monkestrap and Demeter are allegedly a thing. I don't really buy into that plot point so much, <laughs> yeah. um, but he's also a bit of an ass to Demeter <laughs> like, again, like just. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Mark. <laughs> She's going from one abusive relationship to potentially a second. Uh, yeah, to another one. <laughs> I, I do think with Monk, the more I like analyze his character, the more I wonder what his role actually is. Because he's hmm. supposed to be the next in line. 
but I, I, you know, the way they portray old Deuteronomy is he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Like he's not going to ever be the choice. He's going to be around. He has unlimited lives. He kind of feels almost godlike. So then, is this like the? This must have been the year that I think Monk realized that, like, oh, I'm, I'm doing all this work to be next in line, and I have no chance because he's not going anywhere. I mean, I think it's a very long plan. Like maybe in thirty <laughs> years, Monk will step up. And I think he probably needs that 30-year time period to actually improve on himself first. Yeah. Um, is it 30 years? Though? I mean, because they make it seem like Cassandra is like thousands of years old. Yeah, right. So, but I like, mean, is he ever getting the shot? Like how this is an annual, I think this is an annual thing. There's been some yeah. debate on that. It feels like it's annual though. How many more balls, I mean, how many more people does he have to watch get killed before he gets to start doing the killing? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, there's not that many cats is the bottom line, but I suppose yeah, there are... They'll bring more back in. There's yeah, they'll, they'll all come back. They recycle through, you know. Peter will come um, in, and, and then Baby yeah. Grizz comes in. Baby Grizz comes in, so it all starts again. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I reckon, I reckon he's got a good couple of years, though, before. Like, I definitely from our production and when I, you know, got to play Monk, I, I felt like this, this particular event... Um, in question is his first opportunity at kind of actually running it not in theory Uh, like I understand that he's being trained up until this point completely theoretically you know and completely through observation and this year he actually gets to do some of it he doesn't get to do all of it but there are certain components that are entrusted to him at this particular time you know that is he obviously because he has a bit of a thing about control uh <laughs> um organizing the performance element of that you know rehearsing all of that and um he you know gets to have some input in the um in the ball and there are some components and you know he withdraws to observe certain parts with jute yeah i think i think he's this is his first sort of hands-on experience but i definitely don't think he's about to just step up next year i think you just described monkish chap as like one of the waiters, waiters in training or waitresses in training who uh-huh. finally gets to actually take the order, but the guy is still standing over his shoulder like, do you get it right? Like, that's what you just described yeah. is for Monkish Trap. I so, think that's exactly right. I think I that's exactly it. right. I love it. He's, you know, he's allowed to do the job, but not without supervision still. Exactly. And not it, well, he doesn't even get to do the whole job. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he just, gets to do some yeah, parts the of the job, the not important parts yeah, of the job. He took the drink. Yeah, order. exactly. He didn't carry the drink. Yeah, he didn't carry the drink or take the food order or anything else. Just the drink <laughs> order. I love it. Um, okay, so that was, that was Luke's favorite. Who's your favorite? Oh, um, who is my favorite? Oh, I'm, well, I'm kind of inclined to say Tugger. Um, I love it. Yeah, actually, you, you now love it. Yeah, him. you're hooked. Yeah, well, I really do, and that's what I mean. I really loved playing him in the end. Like, it's just so much fun. But it's so much fun because he's so. Um, he's one of the few characters I think who is able to really step outside of the, the tribe mentality. He's part of the tribe, but he's also like has this free pass of being, you know, the ba- daddy's baby, but also like, you know. Everyone yeah. knows that. Oh, that's just Tugger. Tugger does that thing, which means that he's able to step out. I think, and I, I kind of like that he has the freedom to do what he wants to do, whereas a lot of the other characters don't have that freedom. Um, and I think ultimately, um, 
yeah, he likes to stir people up and cause some stuff. But at the same time, I ultimately think he's a very good-hearted character who, um, you know, has a lot of vanity but also a lot of heart. And I, I kind of like that he's flawed in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always seen him as the, like, kind of stuck-up rich kid who is constantly saying, do you know who my dad is? Yeah. To everybody after he gets in like loose trouble, but not really bad trouble, just like hmm. a little, you know, causing yep. a little bit more of a of a, a menace, not really a, a problem. Yep. So yeah, okay. What about favorite song? Oh, um... oh, I have. I have, can I have, I have two answers? That's One's kind of not really favorite, but it's a favorite part of the show that is a song. My favorite part of the show that is a song is uh, at the start of Act 2 um, when we have the cat stand and uh, everyone sings Moonlight, which in our production we did in Korean. Um, I think that's fairly standard for the Asian tours, the international Asian tours. They translate into the language of the country that they're in. But I just think it is the most magical part of the entire show, this beautiful still moment and that little key change. And then everyone just like having this feeling of liftedness and light and they're like suddenly transfixed and everything's clear. And I just think it's like, you know, that delicate thread part of the show. I love that. Um, So that's always the most magical part for me. Um, I think as far as something to sing, I really think Skimbleshanks is the really, the the most (laughs) enjoyable as a performer. Um, Cause it's just, it's great fun and it's got all these things happening and the time signature and it's, it always um, energizes you, especially at that point in the show, like you're tired, you know, yeah. and, um, and it's, it's pretty hard to get through the whole thing. And then you get to that sort of last third or just before like, yeah, two thirds. And it's, the song just always picks you up. And I really like that because you need that energy to get through the rest of the show. Yeah. It is. Uh, I, I definitely see that. It also feels like it's like, fairly demanding depending on what you're building in the train like you're picking something up yeah okay I'm maybe i'm biased because my parts were always fairly easy they yeah. were like you know stand and hold the smoke pipe and, and pump the smoke out of it <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. i love it yeah. that's 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 definitely part of it um okay last rapid fire before the million dollar question um which cat do you think because i mean you performed during the heart of the pandemic and during like the chaos of it all which cat do you think would have like really thrived during that kind of first couple months of the pandemic? I feel like it's a Cassandra thing, isn't it? Like, I, I feel like Cassandra would be so chill, just like, yeah, great. I don't have to say anyone for a couple of months. This is perfect. You know, just <laughs> very okay. comfortably doing their self-care at home, you know, just getting to catch up on things okay. that they've wanted to do but have been a little occupied for. I think Cassandra would really thrive I love in it. a lockdown. It's a great answer. Yeah. I, I still think the two most – the answers I've always thought of were – because I used to ask him, who would you want to be quarantined with? But I think Cassandra's <laughs> there. I think one is someone, I forget who said this. I apologize to whoever made the, the actual reference. But Victoria would probably become a TikTok influencer. Like just uh, yeah. at home learning dances and and being I, Speaking from our production, and I, I adore our Victoria. She's fabulous. But I think she may be a TikTok yeah, influencer already. She already like, is. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think Bus, uh, Bus for Jones probably yeah. lives in a mansion has a bunch of food already. Like he already seems like the type of person that just is kind of chilling out. My concern is like, what if he can't get to the health department for the actual like cardiac things that he needs because he 
has health things. So, you know, I worry that he might be one of the vulnerable in the community yeah, and might high actually, risk. Definitely high risk. you know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, I like Cassandra's an answer. I had not actually thought about her as, but that does, it does line up. She would be. I just think she'd element. be more bothered by having to see people, you know, yeah. and this is that <laughs> introverts ultimate thank you universe. <laughs> you yeah. know, I finally don't have to see people. <laughs> Love it. So million dollar question. I have argued mm-hmm. at length mm-hmm. that I don't think Grisabella is the right Jellicle choice. Uh-huh. So I would like to hear if you are going to defend Grisabella or if you're going to pick somebody else, if you're old Deuteronomy and why. Ooh, it's the big question, isn't it? And you've been on Deuteronomy, so you get to, you've actually embraced this thought for Evaluated this decision. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm, the first thing I will say is I always feel for Gus. Um, And this is also coming from having played Gus. Yeah. Because I feel like Gus is really at that age where he's not having great quality of life anymore. You know, so I'm purely talking like in terms of it's time, not even, not even emotionally. I'm just going, Gus is not doing well, (laughs) you know, and it's almost cruel to not like this poor cat who's probably ready to let go, but is being kept around because can they not die of their own accord? I don't know. I haven't thought about that, but, um, (laughs) you know, so that's my first thought. My first thought is always. Gus is there. Gus probably needs to move on now. Um, that said, <laughs> I very much buy into the arc for Grisabella of redemption. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, and that's, that's part of the show. That is like, that is the actual arc of the show, really. Um, so let me, let me give you my challenge to this. I, I don't disagree that there's okay. a redemption arc. <laughs> I, I, I get where, you know, again, 40 years of success is probably means I'm on the I'm I'm in the minority of this argument. I think Gus is the most common one. If redemption is the main goal of old Deuteronomy, so because again I think this is a what is his criteria for choosing? I do challenge that like mm. how does he choose every year? Does he choose differently every year? There's not going to be a redemption story every year. So does that criteria change every year? There's a lot of things going here. But my biggest question is if he is it's a redemption is a choice. Why not have her be next year's pick? Let her live a year back in the tribe and like with all the the cats that are now embracing her. Like, won't you want to give her that experience versus, I guess, the reward, quote unquote, of being chosen? I don't feel like that's redeeming her. That is almost getting her an out versus giving her a chance to be with the tribe that she's like trying to redeem and come back to. I don't know if Jute's really doing it for her though, is he? This is the, this is the thing. I I feel like because I I did have that thought. I went, oh well, like she could live for a year and she'd be happier and blah 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 blah. And I'm sure there'd be lots of lessons learned, you know, from that experience. But I actually kind of wonder whether it's more of a learning on teaching opportunity for Jute in this moment, cats. yeah, for the rest of the cats rather than for Grisabella, okay. like. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. Like, and I, I like, I've, trust me, I've explored this at every single angle. I'm sure you have. <laughs> funny. So again, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to it. And this is why I love, I love the debate of this. Cause I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, clearly there's a right answer because the show ends every night the same way, but um, 
if if that is the case, then I take you to next year's ball. Does he need to teach a lesson again next year, or does he just pick us? I think I think that can change. Like every I year. think I I don't think it needs to be you have to learn a lesson every year. I think it would be based upon what does the tribe need at this moment in time, and presumably Grizabella doesn't come and do this every single year. My understanding is that she actually hasn't been seen for quite a long time and has really just come out of the woolwork now. And we've really started seeing all this aggression. I mean, maybe it's a snap decision. Maybe it was going to be Gus's year. And then, and then Grizz turns up and Jude's like, hold up, everyone. I didn't realize y'all were so friggin', <laughs> you know, like xenophobic about this yeah. foreign person who's just come back into the group. I didn't realize you're all behaving like this, yeah. you know? And maybe that's why that decision needs to be made now, you know, to, totally. to, to nip that in the bud. Um, I, yeah, I just, I mean, I think that's my gut feeling is that it's actually based upon the necessity to teach all of the cats, particularly Monkestrap, just going to throw that name out there, you know, the really problematic one in the group, um, you know, to, to be more open hearted about their, you know, what is effectively their family who they've ostracized. Yeah. Um, and I think if you, if you deal with that issue, then you're going to have a better year after anyway, rather than, I mean, it could be, I'm thinking as a politician here then, you know, it could be a worse decision to keep her around for a year, undo that initial hard work of, oh, look, we're all forgiving and redeeming, and then discovering that there are actually a lot of problems because this person has lived separately. And, um, you know, and start having hierarchy problems and, you know, like what's what's Jenny Anydot's going to think? That's going to be a friggin' nightmare. Um, I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I just think it might be the sensible thing as well as most useful from his perspective. Yeah. I don't think that's in necessarily in Grizz's best interest either. That, so there's a lot to unpack there. I, I agree <laughs> in a lot, a lot of that. Um, I, so yeah, you kind of made a couple arguments, which is like, well, who's the most need? What's the best for the tribe? Which I'm still not positive that answer is Grizzabella because then that answer is probably McCaffrey. Yeah. So it, it all, is McCavity going to come back and do it, or do they literally have to pin him down and stick a knife in him? Like, well, in the new movie, it's all he wants. So I, I do think yeah, that, I'm, which is so weird. I always just block that out. Yeah, <laughs> just block all the new movie out. Um, I, I just there's it all boils down to me of what is Deuteronomy's criteria, and then does he make that same criteria every year, or does he change it? I think that is really the root of it, and that's not the way yeah. I ever answer the question. I answer the question purely in the sense of I treat it like a, a singing competition and I'm going to pick it like one, dire- uh, uh, <laughs> one direction and X factor, like give me two of the ones I enjoyed the most, who's going to vote from home. And that to me is Togophilies. Um, but that's not the way the show's written. And I don't think that's mm. the way old Deuteronomy is picking. That's if America's voting from home. Uh, and granted, I'm, I've always learned I, that's, that also shows how some of my bias is like, yeah, America voting from home. And I'm like, we're talking about a South Korean cast, like, like you know, an audience, like it's a global production. It's a show that's been around forever, globally, all over the world. It's been, you know, it's it was running in, I think it was running in Vienna um, until they, I think they just went on lockdown as we're recording mm-hmm. this. But it's still, yeah. it's still running. It's on tour in the U.S. Like it's a show that's been around for a long time. But I don't think I'm. My goal is not to change your mind anymore. My goal is to change 
uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's mind, which ah. is, or just to be part of Cats too. Um, I I want to be part of the next iteration of Cats. Uh, but what I role would you play? What role would I play? Yeah. As a, and I I have zero. If, if you if you could choose, no, if you could choose, what would you what would you do? If I got to, so I think what I would what I really want to do right now is I want to come in as a creative consultant to a a current cast, and I want to just introduce all the rumors into the background yeah. stories of all the characters, and be like, and I remember I've talked to the Vienna Victorian and be like, a lot of people think that Grisabelle's your mom, like you need to play this that way tonight these two cats are together here's a love triangle i don't know like i'm not qualified or should be influencing or writing a musical or changing a story <laughs> or i can't tell you the first thing about the song and dance and staging any of that stuff but i could go in and say hey if you're busted for jelly and grace like i think you got a little love triangle there we can play into when you do your number and stuff like Let's maybe play into that tonight. Let's see how that resonates. That's what I want to influence. That's what I want to come in. And you could put me in the tour tomorrow and I could go meet all of them and go, okay, <laughs> here are the rumors about your cat that I would love for you to play. <laughs> Can you tell me if there's any truth to it? Like go out there and tell me if you buy that or it feels believable. Because it's not going to change the play. It's going to just I, be I, a, a minor thing here that, that, that a super fan will notice. That, well, this is one of my favorite things I think about doing this show. And that, that really surprised me is because there is virtually no dialogue, you are so free to play any of these things that you want. Completely. And, and that is such a joy as a commercial music theater performer who's doing eight shows a week and it's the same stuff every single day. You know, it is such a, a gift to have that variety of choice and to you know even have differences of opinions within one cast about how things are operating but it doesn't matter because you're not saying any words yeah and i always i always found i'd get to the end of a show and and forget that i hadn't been speaking for two and a half hours because i felt like i had been having lines with people it's just that i'd been looking at them and thinking things really clearly and aggressively at them (laughs) it's like you have dialogue in this show but it's just not said <laughs> it's it's uh it's staging in different pieces there and i am i i know and i won't say who because i don't want to get any directors or anybody mad at them or me but i know that people have taken things from conversations i've had on this podcast and brought it into future performances and have had successfully like tried that like one day tried that arc differently and <laughs> how it plays um, so that's my, that's my goal, my future. It's on tour in the United States. I've, I've offered, I've not been, uh, I love that. To. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful career path. I think lots of productions yeah. would get a lot of benefit out of that. But the, problem, but the problem is I only know cats. I don't know about any other musical. I mean, like I've seen some, I mean, I've seen plenty of other ones, but I, I just don't know enough about like, yeah, here's, let me tell you all the stuff. Um, so I have a very niche market and a very niche skill set that is, Thankfully, it's been around. It's been 40 years. So I was like, going to say, it's also a show that never ends. It's Cats Now and Forever. Like it, it is, it's you would never be out of work. <laughs> I, I could be, yeah. Creative consultant on Cats' tours globally. Fly me Global. in and let me, let me tell you the Cats Bible. <laughs> well, the problem is it's my version of it. I know there are people who actually have a Cats Bible. Um, I'm going to tell you my crazy made-up theories by watching it on YouTube. <laughs> 
Um, well, this has been amazing. I would love to uh, hear how can we find you on social media and stay in touch. I'm I'm pretty much just on Instagram these days. Uh, I'm Almon Collie there, which is A L M O N Collie C O W L E Y. Um, that's that's about it, really. I, I don't. I'm not super fond of the socials, uh, <laughs> especially <laughs> in this in this yeah. era. Like, I just I just find them a little bit terrifying. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other Amazing. conversation. <laughs> well. I appreciate you coming on, talking through the pandemic version, giving a, a defense of Grizabella along with like a lot of other versions to it. I love it. You didn't really <laughs> pick any core answer to that question. It's very political of you to to give uh, a couple, but I, I, I think thoroughly it's enjoyed. a very political question. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I don't think it's one that's going to uh, influence anybody's decisions in life very hard, but um, no. it has definitely made my life very different because of the amount of times I've had this argument now, um, way more than I ever thought. But I appreciate you coming on. So thank you for being here. And thanks everyone else for listening to this episode of The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the catastrophe. To follow along, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Wrong Cat Died, or check out our website, thewrongcatdied.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.